Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Hey, for some reason, at the, uh, the center of our Christmas celebrations each year in December are these little things, presents, gifts. Uh, we buy them uh, for people we like and people we don't like. Uh, we buy them for our family, our friends, our teachers, our kids' coaches, and everyone at the office. I don't understand why, I'm not sure why we do this. I mean, when you read the Christmas story, what you discover is that there were these wise men that came from the East, right? And they brought and they gave gifts to baby Jesus. So some wise men give Jesus presents, and so therefore, we create Christmas lists. We spend a whole month stomping on people in the mall, trying to get presents to give to one another. It all makes sense, right? I don't know. I don't know if it does. Um, but we do this. This is part of our Christmas tradition, is the exchanging, is the exchanging of, of presents. And uh, to be completely honest, at Christmas time, we talk about it being a season of generosity, which it is. And we talk about the spirit of giving, right? But in reality, and you know this to be true in your own life, it's usually not so much gift giving, but gift exchanging, right? You buy something for someone in your family, and they buy you something of equal value, right? I give you something that's worth $30, you give me a gift card. Who doesn't love gift cards? Not me. I don't like gift cards. Uh, So you're exchanging things of equal value. So it's not so much gift giving, although it can be, it's often gift exchanging, right? And, uh, you know, we know this is true because, uh, for example, if a friend of yours showed up at your house after church today, you're not expecting them, then knock on the door. You come to the door, oh, hey, and they're like, hey, we got you something. What's the first thing going through your mind? Oh, they're so nice and so generous. Uh Uh-uh. The first thing you're thinking is, I didn't get them anything. I didn't know we were doing the gift exchange. You might even say to them, hey, I'm Thank you. I didn't get you anything. And of course, they would say, it's good, polite people, they would say, well, wait a second. Uh, you don't have to get me. We just, we just thought of you and wanted to give you a Christmas present. And you're thinking in your mind, what do I have? What can I get? Maybe I grab one of the kids' gifts you know, or something. <laughs> give it to them. Like, oh yeah, I was thinking of you too, right? So there's just this natural desire in us to respond when a gift is given. That, that when we give something, we expect a response. There's a transaction that takes place. Would you agree? Even if you're a parent and you're like, actually, no, my kids don't get me anything. We spend all this money to make Christmas special for our kids, and they don't buy us anything or do anything for us, and yet they're still in exchange because when your kids open up those presents, your grandkids open up those presents, the look on their face is the exchange, and, and we get something incredible out of it. And so, um, and so for some reason in our culture, we exchange, exchange gifts. I heard about this, um, heard about this mom, and uh, she was digging through her five-year-old son's backpack. And in it was like one of those Christmas worksheets that parents give the students. You know what those are like? And it has all the things about Christmas, and the kids fill in the blanks, you know? And uh, so on this particular one, it said, at Christmas time, we exchange gifts with, fill in the blank, and the kid wrote, receipts. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, this is funny. And so the kids, even the kids get this whole idea that we're just kind of back and forth, return it, whatever, right? Merriam-Webster defines the word exchange in this way. The act of giving or taking one thing in return for another. In other words, trade. 
This is getting worse. <laughs> it's not gift giving, it's gift trading. And so we, we exchange with one another these gifts. How many of you here have ever been part of a gift exchange gone wrong? Show of hands. Okay, a few of you. Gift exchange gone wrong. So you've expected this particular exchange to happen and everything goes sideways. I think it was last Christmas, uh, my son Nathaniel, who's in grade school, uh, their class decided to do one of these secret Santa type things. And so each kid, they drew names out of a hat. And so my son had a particular kid in the class that he was buying a gift for, and all the kids had gifts they were buying for each other. The gift limit was set at 5 or $10, I can't recall. And, and so um, my son is very thoughtful, very thoughtful gift giver. So he you know, thought long and hard and went to the store with his mom, and they picked out the perfect gift for this particular kid. And my son, very meticulous and artistic, he wrapped it perfectly. I mean, it was this beautiful gift. He was so excited to take it to school and to give it and to exchange it with another kid. Now, there's two reasons why he would be excited on that particular day. Number one would be when you give somebody a gift, there's this incredible interaction that takes place. And so he was excited to see their response to the gift. Like, that's part of the joy of giving. And so he, he went to school with his gift, and, and I came home, and I said, Hey, buddy, how'd it go? And it's kind of like, ah... And I'm thinking to myself, what went wrong? You already know what went wrong. You're probably already guessing. It's like, did he not like the gift? Oh, yeah, yeah, the kid liked the gift. And I said, well, well what about you? What would you get? And he's like, oh, the kid that was supposed to give my son a gift forgot. And he found a broken candy cane in his bag and gave him that instead. You know, Gary Chapman wrote a book. You guys are very sentimental this morning. I love it. Um, <laughs> Gary Chapman uh, wrote a book called The Five Love Languages, and uh, we did it as a small groups years ago, so some of you will know the language, but he talks about how there are, there are ways that we express love to one another, and uh, there are a number of ways we express love to one another. One of them would be like acts of service, so we serve and help somebody, and that's, some of you are wired, that's the primary way that you show love. Uh, others, it might be words of affirmation. So you say nice things. You encourage people. Hey, let me just tell you how much you mean to me. Hey, oh, that was so nice. Hey, you did such a great job. You're just building people up, showing love with your words. Uh, for others, it's physical touch. It's, you know, horsing around, hugging, you know, punching, and just like just being close and snuggling on the couch. It's like, yeah, we're close. We're friends. And you show love in that way. Um, then there is um, quality time. I always forget that one. Uh, quality time. <laughs> My wife's just kind of like, yeah. Uh, it's true. Quality time is just like you just be together, right? And if some of you, if that's your primary love language, like the best part of Christmas isn't the gifts, it's not the trees, and it's not the food, it's just, just being with the people you love. Just having a day or two of downtime together, just spending, and it's just like your tank is filling up. But then there's another, and it's the gift givers. And so for those of you who are gift givers, it's the way you express love is by choosing and, or, or making or giving the perfect gift. And when you do that, it's just like all is right with the world. Like Christmas is your jam if you're a gift giver. You're going to excel at this because you've got the thoughtful gift. You've, you've, you, just, you just show up with the perfect thing. And if you're married to someone like me who's like, I did the test and gift giver was zero. Like I didn't have, I, I just can't even do that. So that was, the video was a joke, but that little comment about not a gift giver was not a joke. Um, so for some of you, if gift giving is, is something that is so, so, so important to you, um, obviously, Christmas can be a time when you, when you get let down um, because the people around you may not, may not respond the way that you expect. You're like, this is a depressing sermon, Pastor. I, I know. Stick with it. It'll get better, I think. Um, over the next three weeks, what I want to talk about is um, the gift exchange that happened on that first Christmas. We're going to be looking at the Christmas story in various portions, and each week we're going to look at different characters 
And just like we exchange gifts at Christmas time, that first Christmas there was an exchange of gifts. And we often look at the wise men and how they brought gifts to Jesus, and we're like, oh, okay, they gave gifts. But in reality, God gave the first and greatest gift. You're like, oh, what's that? He gave the gift, the greatest gift any person could ever give. He gave himself. It was his coming that was the great gift. And because he came, the people responded. So the wise men showed up with these valuable gifts. Because he came, the shepherds showed up at the manger and bowed down and worshipped him. Because he came, you're going to see today as we look at Mary's story, we're going to see her response, her willingness to receive the child and to receive what God would do in her. So the question I really want to ask today is in light of this gift that God has given, the gift of his son, because that's really what we're celebrating at Christmas. It's not Santa and it's not elves and it's not an elf on the shelf or any of that fun stuff. We're celebrating the birth of Christ. We're celebrating the coming of God, the one who created all things. And the question that I want to ask us is, what, what should my response be? What should your response be to the coming of Jesus? That is the question of Christmas. And, and sure, we're going to talk about the history of Christmas, and we're going to look at the story, the narratives in the Gospels, and go, oh, here's what happened, and here's who the people were and what it meant. But in, in the end, what we're really asking is, how do we respond today in 2019 How does this Christmas have the same spirit as that original Christmas? That God is coming and giving something to you, a gift, and there's an exchange that takes place in the heart of each and every individual when we receive it. So today we're going to look at Mary's story. And I've got these boxes labeled because I think there was a a gift exchange going on. So for Mary, we're going to learn a bit about Mary, but Mary is, is going to give to God... Her expectation, for those in the back, this box says expectation. Now, I kind of landed on this word of expectation because what's going to happen is the angel is going to appear to Mary and be like, oh, by the way, you're going to get pregnant. The Son of God is going to come through you, change the world, yada, yada. And Mary's just like, what? Like Mary, like most young men and women, had a plan for her life. She had the way she expected it to go, and all of it is going to hit the fan. Like everything is going to be thrown into disarray, like she's going to become pregnant, she's not married, this is not good, like her reputation, everything. So the way she expects things to go is, is going to get thrown out, but she's going to be willing to exchange her expectations for the promise of God. And the word of God is going to come to her, and the angel is going to show up with a message and give her a promise that God is going to do something in her, and she's willing to make the exchange, and she receives the promise, and there's an exchange that takes place. So I want us to see that today as we walk through the story. But before we jump in, there's one last thing I want you to understand. It's easy for us to read the Christmas story. You've heard it before. Mary, the wise men, the shepherds. I mean, there's nothing new here. Even if you've never been in church before, these would be the parts of the Bible you've heard before. And it's easy for us to hear these stories and to hear them through the lens we've always heard them through, to hear it through the lens of history. Oh, that happened. But what I want us to do today as we walk through is I want, I want you to exchange the historical view, like this happened, for a personal view of the Christmas story. Those were two of the words I was going to put on these boxes. I, I want you to take what happened in the past, and I want you to exchange it with what God wants to do in your life this present Christmas. Those were other words I was going to put on these boxes. Past and present. You see why I had such a hard time trying to find the right words. But I want us to look at the story in a personal way. I want us to read about Mary's story and draw ourselves into the story as we go along. Does that make sense? You guys with me? Okay, so let's do it. Here's where we're going to go into Luke chapter 1, and we're going to begin reading at verse um, 26. 
Here's what it says. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, there's a number of things I need to tell you about here. Number one, there's an angel sent by God, and he's coming to Mary, okay? The word angel in the original language could be translated a number of ways in English. One of them is angel, obviously. Another way would be messenger, which makes sense. Another way it could be translated as pastor, which is kind of funny. You're like, pastor? What's a pastor? Like, our pastor is no angel, I'll tell you that, right? But what does a pastor, what does a messenger, what does an angel do? They carry the word of God to people. Like throughout the Bible, angels appear and like, God says this. God wants you to know this. And they, they bring a message. So if a pastor is doing a faithful job, they're taking, they're taking God's words and his message and they're delivering it as a messenger to the people. So don't shoot the mailman. We're going to keep going. An angel Gabriel was sent... From God. Gabriel is a messenger angel that appears in numerous Bible stories. About 600 years previous, he shows up to a man by the name of Daniel and tells him about things to come. Uh, he shows up in Zacharias in the gospel story um, about John the Baptist. So Gabriel is, is especially used by God to deliver important messages to his people. And he shows up in a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, you might think, oh, Nazareth is a happening place because Jesus is from there. Like, they wouldn't say Jesus of Nazareth if Nazareth wasn't a good place. It wasn't a good place. It was like the borderlands on the northern part of Israel. It was like, who would want to go there? Like, nobody builds a condo in Nazareth. You know, when Jesus was 30 and he was starting his ministry, one of his disciples went to a guy named Nathaniel, and he's like, guess what? We found the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. And he's like, what? Nothing good can come from Nazareth. You know, I was trying to think of a place around here that I could compare with Nazareth, but then I thought I'd get myself into trouble. So I decided not to, uh, you know, not to start naming towns and areas of the city and all that kind of stuff. But Jesus came from Nazareth, and this angel comes to Nazareth. So the point of this is simply this. God sends a messenger angel, Gabriel, to Mary, and it's in an unlikely place. This is, this is not where God should be at work, but God doesn't work where we think he should work. He works in unlikely places. He works when nobody expects him to work. That's just how God is. He's pretty amazing like that. So we continue. He comes to Nazareth to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So he's given us some more information. Number one, Mary and Joseph are betrothed. You know the story? Uh, in those days, they primarily had arranged marriages, and that still happens in places in the world, you know. Uh, families, you know, Joseph's family, Mary's family would have struck a deal, maybe when they were little kids, and said, hey, these two are going to be united, our families are going to be joined, contracts were signed. And, the, and sometimes kids in those cultures would grow up knowing like, hey, there's my future wife, you know. Uh, and it's just like they just had to wait until the appropriate time, and then they would come together, and it was very formal, it was, it was legal. And so even though Mary and Joseph hadn't yet begun their family, they, hadn't, they weren't living together, they, they, were, they were a betrothed. They were engaged legally. So it's kind of a big deal, obviously, since they're not yet married officially, and since she's never been with a man, right, thankfully, that all of a sudden she's going to become pregnant is kind of a big deal. We'll get there. It also tells us that Joseph was of the house of David. We think Mary also, so it means like... Mary and Joseph were both descendants of, you know, if you took a family tree, you've seen those. Uh, David was one of, the, one of the early kings in Israel. He was the second king of Israel, in fact. And God makes a promise to David and says that someone from your lineage, from your family tree, from your line, 
will be on the throne of Israel forever. That's a big promise. And of course, other people became kings, and it was like, oh, I guess God, God didn't keep his promise. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is going to come from the descendants of David, and he's going to rule over Israel forever. And God keeps his promise when it seems like he won't and can't. That's just another amazing thing about God. And so this, the, all these little details are important as we kind of walk through the story. The virgin's name was Mary. Uh, it says in the next verse, uh, and he came to her and said, the angel approaches Mary. We don't know anything about it, but we'll, we'll talk about what that might have been like. He, he came to her and said, greetings. Hello. <laughs> Seems so much formal when he said greetings, but it was like, Engaged. Oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. Sounds like a pretty good greeting, don't, don't you think? Notice what it says next. But she was greatly troubled at the sight of a glorious angel with a sword. No. Like, it doesn't say anything. Like, this angel appears, says to Mary, Greetings, oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. And she's like, What? What amazes me about this text is that she's not, she's not amazed, she's not afraid at the sight of an angel, which, which begs the question, how did the angel appear to Mary? Now think about this, this actually matters. How did this angel Gabriel appear to Mary? In the Bible, when you read through the Old Testament and New alike, angels appeared at times, sometimes, and you may not know this, sometimes angels appeared like regular humans. Just, just some random dude walks up and delivers a message from God. It's like, what just happened? So sometimes angels appear like that. They appeared like that to Abraham and others. And other times, like in the next chapter, angels appeared like with glorious light, trumpet sounding, like just this magnificent heavenly experience where it says the shepherds saw the angel and the glory of the Lord is shining. It's like this crazy experience. And the shepherds were what? Sore afraid. They were so scared it hurt. I just made that up, but it's kind of like a... They were like freaked out, but the angels hadn't even said anything. They just appeared, and everyone's like, ah, angels. But in this case, like this conversation begins, greetings, oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. It's what this man is saying to Mary that grabs her attention. And here's what he says. It's nothing earth-shattering. He says, you are favored, and the Lord is with you. Now, Mary was a Jew, and the whole Jewish nation were, were favored. They were God's chosen people. The entire nation, God said, I'm with you. You're my people and I'm with you. That was a, a refrain that you find through the Old Testament. So there's nothing shocking about this. And yet there's something about this message as it's delivered. This angel appears to Mary and says, hey, listen, you are favored. God is with you in a particular way. And she's going, wait. Because I, I have to imagine that if Mary was to look at her life, just like if you were to look at your life, she would look around and went like, I'm just Mary. I'm just a normal girl. I'm not even married yet. I don't have a lot of money. I'm not famous, you know? I don't have a big social media following. I'm not a princess. Like, there's, there's nothing external that you could look at and be like, oh, you're definitely favored. I can tell God is with you. Like, there was none of that. So she's hearing these words and she's asking the question, is this word that's coming to me from this messenger, is it true? And there's this wrestling that's going on inside of her. Now, as I said earlier, the idea of this message is that we would not just read this like, oh yeah, Mary was favored, but to make it personal, to take it from the historical and make it personal. Let me ask you a question. Do you know that you're favored by God? Do you know that he loves you? Do you know that the God of heaven is with you by your side? Do you know that? 
And maybe if you're hearing that for the first time, you're going to wrestle with it just like her. Like, is that true? Because I'm looking at my marriage, I'm looking at my family, I'm looking at my finances, my health, whatever's going on this Christmas, right? The tensions of the, of the December month. And I'm thinking, I don't know if I'm favored. I don't know if God is really with me. And yet the message comes from God. You're favored and I am with you. What are we going to do with that? Sometimes we just need to be reminded about what God has said to us, right? To get our eyes off what we see around us and to truly latch on to the promise. Make sure I get the right box. To the promise. To let go of our expectations and go, yes, this is what you have said. This is what you're doing, I believe. And you grab onto that promise that he brings to us. So the story continues. She was greatly troubled at the saying, and it says she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So this is all starting to make more sense. Random dude comes up with this message from God, and she's listening to it, she's troubled, she's wrestling with it, and she's trying to discern what kind of greeting this, like, are you trying to sell me something? Is this a trick? Like, she's, she's really wrestling with this thing that has come, this message that has come directly from God through the messenger angel, and it continues in verse uh, 30. And the angel says to her, do not be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God. See, this is why it's so important. When you and I receive the promise from God that he is with us, when we receive the promise of God that we are favored, that he loves us, all of a sudden, it changes everything. He's like, favored one, do not be afraid. If God be for you, who can be against you? If you know God is with you, then, then what are you to be afraid of? And so he continues, verse 31, and behold, this is where things get weird, by the way, (laughs) behold, you'll conceive in your womb, translation, you're about to get pregnant and bear a son, that's very specific, and you shall call his name Jesus, that's even more specific, like most mothers name their mothers and fathers name their own kids, but the angel says, no, here's what's going to happen, you're going to get pregnant. We'll get into how that's going to happen next, but like you're going to get pregnant, okay? Don't freak out, and you're going to have a son, and you're going to name name him Jesus. Now, the the name Jesus was actually a common name in those days. It's not common in Peterborough. I've never met another Jesus in Peterborough. If you go to South America, they got some Jesuses, right, which is the name Jesus. But in Israel, it was the name, the actual name was Joshua or Yeshua, right? And like Joshua was this guy that led the armies. His name was actually the same as Jesus's name, but we translate them differently to distinguish Jesus. But this was a common name, but the name meant savior and deliverer. So it's like, hey, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get pregnant. We'll talk about how in a sec. You're going to have a son and your son will be a savior and deliverer and that's his name. Okay. She's processing. Okay. You're processing. We're all thinking about, okay, this is what the angel is delivering the message. Um, He continues to say this, he will be great and will be called son of the most high. In other words, you're going to have a son, his name, he's going to be a boy and his name is going to be Jesus and he's going to be the son of the most high God. That the God who is eternal, the God who created all things, the same God is going to live inside your womb. So when your mind starts to melt down, right? Like the eternal God is is going to come down in flesh. And this is, this is called the, the incarnation. This is the idea of God coming down, right? The God who created creation and all things actually enters into it. And this child that's going to be born of Mary is going to be fully human and fully God, 
Wrap your mind around that. So Mary's hearing all this. He's going to be the son of the Most High. My son? Yeah, your son will be the son of God. Her mind is, uh, is being blown. The next question that we're going to get into is how has this happened? Because what's about to take place in Mary is a miracle. Who thinks that? That would have to be a miracle, wouldn't it? So a virgin conceives and this, this child that is born is the son of God. That's, that's a miracle. And what's cool about this is, check this out. Perhaps the greatest miracle that ever happened on the face of the earth is about to happen inside of Mary. We think of great miracles. We think of Moses with his stick parting the Red Sea, the whole nation getting through, and then all of the Egyptians drowning. We think of the walls of Jericho falling down. The, the Bible's full of mir- miraculous stories of things God did by his power. And yet this might be the greatest one and almost no one notices. It's like the greatest miracle ever done is going to happen inside Mary, unseen. And like a seed being planted in the ground would grow into a tree that bears great fruit and brings eternal life to the whole world. You you catch in like the scope of these ideas, right? So there's this thing being planted in her that's going to bring eternal life to the whole world. And it's amazing to even think about this. It continues, and the Lord God will give to him, your son, his son, the throne of his father, David. He'll be the rightful king. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, the nation of Israel, and of his kingdom. There's something about his kingdom. There will be no end. For centuries, for millennia, kings have risen and had power, and their descendants eventually died off, and other kingdoms rose. But this child that's going to be born in you, Mary, is going to have an eternal kingdom that will never, ever, ever, ever fail. This is mind-blowing stuff. And Mary said to the angel, verse 34, How? Will this be since I'm a virgin? That's a smart question. Like it's literally, like she may not have been very well educated. She might have been young, but she was no dummy. Like she knew. She had the birds and the bees talk. She knew this was impossible unless there was some miraculous event that would take place in order for her to conceive and bear this child that God is talking about. And so she asked, how will this be? And the answer the angel gives is as follows. And the angel answered her, You ready for this? The Holy Spirit, that's God's Spirit, will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So Mary's like, how is this possible? And the angel says, the Holy Spirit's going to descend on you, and basically God's going to do it by His power. Thanks. Like, I need more. (laughs) How's this thing going to happen? God is going to do it. And he's going to do it by the power of his Holy Spirit, and it's going to happen in you. Okay. Again, we're reading about what happened to Mary, but we're seeing what God was doing. He was going to, by the power of his Spirit, bring about the child inside of her. Now, what fascinates me is what comes next, because the angel doesn't just stop there. He actually continues with something that initially didn't make sense to me, and then I started to clue in. He says this, And behold... Your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who has been called barren. So naturally when God says, or when the angel says to Mary, God is going to do it by the power of his Holy Spirit, the first question I would be wondering is, can God really do this? Can God do this incredible thing that he has promised to do inside of me? And the angel says, hey, let me point you to someone else you know that God has already done a miracle in their life. Hey, you have a relative named Elizabeth. Yeah, she's really old. Yeah, she's past menopause. She can't have children. Yeah, I know that. 
She's called barren. Yeah. She's six months pregnant. How is that possible? It's a miracle. And so what the angel does is he points her to a miracle in someone else's life to build up her faith and belief that God could do a miracle in her life. And if you're here today and you're like, I don't know if God could do a miracle in my life. I don't know if God could do something in me. We could end the service and we could walk around this room and you could talk to people in this room that have seen God do miraculous things in their life. That have seen God transform the heart of people. Seen God save marriages. Seen God heal the sick. Seen God do financial miracles. Seen God transform people in ways that cannot be explained with nature, with science, with any of it. The miraculous stories of others encourage us that what God has promised us, he can and will fulfill. Does that make sense? So I just think that's cool. So he's like, oh, there's this incredible thing I'm going to do. By the way, look what God has already done with Elizabeth and be encouraged. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now, this, this statement, this idea is at the very foundation of Christianity. That there must be a belief that God can do the supernatural. There must be a belief that God can do what we cannot do. Otherwise, we could do it. And so he's like, nothing is impossible for God. This, this actual statement actually is kind of a throwback because Mary is going to give birth to Jesus and Jesus is going to bring eternal life and he's going to build the church, God's eternal kingdom and family, okay? Track with me. But Jesus was a Jew, Mary was a Jew, and that all began with a man by the name of Abraham that God chose. And Abraham's wife is also old, also barren, can't conceive a child, impossible. And one day an angel who looks like a man shows up and is having a conversation with Abraham. And he says, in a year from now, I'm coming back and your wife's going to be pregnant. And she's like the old lady, she's behind the curtain, like, ah, starts laughing. Like, as if. And the angel says to Abraham and his wife, Sarah, who's listening, is anything too hard for God? So the very existence of the Jewish people was a miracle of God. The very existence of the church today is a miracle of God. And it must be. Not only can God do miracles, he must. Because when he does it, it can't be of us. None of us could stand up and be like, oh yeah, we've got this. God has done it. And all eyes turn to him. And all worship and all praise goes to the one who did it. And so it turns our hearts to the one who began it all by his power, by the power of his spirit. And so, last couple of verses. Verse 38, Mary says, and here's the exchange that's about to happen, right? Mary says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. <coughs> Mary says, I will lay down, exchange my expectations for your promise. She receives the promise, receives the word, embraces it. Now again, we can read this historically, right? You can listen to this message and be like, okay. Mary was this receptive, humble, receives the word of God. God did a miracle in her, blah, blah, blah. The church is formed. Everything's great. Let's have some eggnog. Let's open presents. Let's move on with Christmas because God did this thing 2,000 years ago. But, but what if we took it from this historical context and began to look at it in a more personal way? What if you were to ask, hey, we just read about what God did, did and wanted to do in Mary, but what does he want to do in you and me this Christmas? You say, well, what do you mean? See, I believe that the very thing that God wanted to do and deliver, the promise that he wanted to give to Mary, he wants to give to you and me today. No, you're not going to get pregnant. That's not what I mean of a sort. 
I want to turn uh, to a passage that's found in Ephesians. So Jesus comes. He enters into the world. He dies. He's raised from the dead. He ascends into heaven. Some 20, 30 years later, a man by the name of Paul the Apostle shows up on the scene. And he is a living example of the transformation, the power of God, the Holy Spirit has totally transformed Paul. If you know his story, he was killing Christians, and all of a sudden he is now willing to die for this same Christ. And so Paul writes a letter to the Ephesian church. And my sermon was going in a different direction until I, I read this passage and something clicked. And I want you to see it this morning, and I want it to hit home. Paul is praying for a bunch of Christians who are trying to follow Jesus like you and me. And here's what he says in Ephesians chapter 3. Maybe it's not chapter 3. Yes, chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Uh, Paul is on his knees praying for you and for me, for the church at Ephesus. From whom every family in heaven on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, this is what he's praying for the people. Notice these words, that you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Notice something? What's he praying that God would do? That the Holy Spirit would overshadow, would descend upon you and upon me. That the Holy Spirit, God's spirit, would would do something inside of us, just like he did something inside of Mary. Oh, you're stretching this, Pastor. Look at the next verse. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, the physical Jesus isn't coming. You're not getting pregnant, as I said. But what God did that first Christmas, putting the Son, Jesus, into Mary that would grow and bring his kingdom to the world, he's still doing today, this Christmas. That by the power of his Spirit, Christ would be formed in you and me. Again, not a physical person, but the spirit of Christ, the love of Christ, the knowledge of God, salvation, eternal life, that that would be placed into us by his spirit and begin to grow. And guess what? How does Jesus' kingdom enter into the world? Through us. Through his church. We receive the spirit of Christ and it transforms us from the inside out. That, you would, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I guess when I read this, I realized God did this miraculous thing in Mary, and Christ, the Savior, entered into the world 2,000 years ago. And this idea that God still wants to have his Spirit descend upon his people, that we would be filled with the knowledge of him, that Christ would be formed in us, that the Christmas story wouldn't be something we read about history in the past, but it's transforming us now. Can you imagine if, if like Mary, we'd be willing to lay down some of our expectations this Christmas and truly embrace the greatest gift ever given, that we would embrace Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit, that he would be formed inside of each and every. That's the Christmas message. And that's a message that continues to this day. And so today I want to encourage you um, to do exactly that. To ask the question, what is my response to the greatest gift? Is Jesus' coming something that just happened in the past? Or is the Spirit of Christ being placed? And even if you've been a Christian for 30 years, is he being formed and growing? Are you growing in the knowledge of God? Are you growing in his love? Is it transforming you today? Can we pray together?
Father, it is so easy um, to read these stories and to marvel at Mary and the angel and the promise you gave to her. But God, how quickly we forget the great promises you've made to us. How quickly we forget that the same spirit that was at work in Mary, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, dwells inside of us. That your desire is not for us to just have this historical knowledge of Jesus, but that Christ, his character, his nature, his love, his person would be formed within us and we would be transformed from the inside out. Lord, this Christmas as we carry on gifts, family functions, all the expectations of the holidays, may we be quick to turn our eyes to your promise and your word and to receive all that you have for us that we might bring the kingdom of God to the world in which we live this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.